0: A disclaimer for me today. We're talking about money today. If you're new with us, here's what I would say to you. Ordinarily, I say to the new people, if I'm ever going to talk about money, I'm not talking to you because we don't want our new people, we don't want visitors to think, oh great, here goes the preacher talking about, he wants my money. First of all, the home folk around here know that I don't apologize anymore for talking about money because it's an important thing, we've got to talk about it. But today, specifically, yes, I'm talking about giving money. But I'm not talking nearly as much about giving money as I am what money does to us And how easy it is for us to allow money to replace god as the lord in our life And so that's really what the message is today if you want to go ahead and turn to mark chapter 10 you can do that But what I would say to you is that following jesus Is about dependence it's about Who's going to be the lord in your life? It's about uh, you know, waking up every morning and saying, Lord, I, wanna, I want you to live your life through me today. That's what I want. Um, following Jesus is not about all the things that we have to do. I don't know if you realize this or not. But Jesus did not come to give me more things to do. He, he did not come to give you more stuff to do. Uh, somewhere along the line, some whacked out bunch of Christians somewhere got together and decided that the way you become a better Christian in their mind is That you just do all this stuff you make a list You do all the stuff on the list and if you do all the stuff on the list Then God will be pleased with you and you'll fit right in with church And everybody's gonna like you because you can do all the stuff on the list and they would have you believe that when you come to church that the way you become successful in church and the way you really stand out in God's eyes is you go down the list and you do all the things and at the end of the day, you hold the list up to God and you say, God, here's the list, I did the list and I know that I'm in because I did the things on the list. I'm here to tell you this morning, nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus did not come to give you more to do. He did not come with a list in his hands to hand it to you and say, okay, here's the stuff that I need you to do, and when you do this at the end of the day, I'm going to be happy with you. See, that's the way we treat our kids, right? We're going to leave for a while. We hand them a list, say, these are the chores. When I get back, I want these things done. We think that's how God treats us. But that's not what happened. Jesus came and he said, I'm here to invite you into a relationship with me today I want to talk about an obstacle to that relationship. I want to talk about an obstacle to lordship, and it is really just at its core, it's money. It not only keeps us from being Christians sometimes and, and wanting to come to church. I mean, how many people have you heard say, well, I don't want to go to church because the minute I go to church, the preacher's going to talk about money, and that's all he wants is my money. You ever heard that? I hear that all the time. I have people come to me from time to time and say, I'm, I'm getting ready to invite my neighbor to church, and I want to know what you're preaching on next week. Because if you're talking about money, I don't want to come next week. I don't want them to come. And to be honest with you, that doesn't offend me. There, there are certain times when we come together here, if you know that you've been working on somebody for a long, long time, it might be a good idea to check with me and make sure that I'm not talking about money. And we can, we can say, hey, why don't we get them the next week? or get them, you know, We can kind of set them up. Um, But you know, on the other, on the flip side of that, it may be a good thing for them to come to church sometime and hear a preacher talk about money from Scripture that makes sense and let them go. You know what? I never thought about it like that before. Hopefully, what you get today is that. I'm I'm sure you're gonna try. I want you to pretend with me that I have three kids on the stage, three teenage kids on the stage. And these three teenage kids, I have gifts for them. When they come up, they've got sacks and I, I let them choose a sack. There's three in big paper bags, and the one kid comes up, and when he gets his sack, he opens it up, and there's a bundle of bananas in there. Okay, big old bundle of bananas. The next sack he, we come to, the, the girl reaches in, and she pulls out a boom box. Nice boom box. State-of-the-art. Complete with USB port and jack for your iPod. That's how nice it is. Isn't it sad that we went... we? Uh, Whenever I think about cars now and, and new cars Which I don't do But The first thing I look for on the radio Is that little iPod jack Isn't that crazy You didn't do that 10 years ago And then the next guy comes up And on the table the, There's a sack there He reaches down inside He pulls out a, a gift certificate To American Eagle Outfitters at the mall Okay so you got You got bananas You got a boom box And you got a gift certificate These kids are holding in their hands And I say to them I have something in my pocket, it's inferred that it's money, the amount is not specified. And I say, I'm going to give you the opportunity to trade what we just gave you, and we tell these kids, you're going to take these things home with you, you get to keep these, but I'll, you know, I sound like Monty Hall, don't I? I'm going to give you the chance to trade for what I have in my pocket. Everybody that's under 25 right now has no idea who Monty Hall is. I'm going to trade with you for what's in my pocket. And I go up to the guy with the bananas, and I say, would you like to trade with me? How fast do you think the guy with the bananas is going to want to make a trade with me? Pretty quick. What is a teenage kid going to do with a bundle of bananas when he thinks there's cash in my pocket? I go to the girl with the boom box, and I say, would you like to make a trade with me? No. No, I'll take what I got. I like what I got. The boombox box will work just fine for me. And then I come to the girl with the, the or the fellow with the, uh, the gift certificate to American Eagle, and I ask him, would you like to trade with me for what I have in my pocket? Now, he'll have to think about it, because who knows, I might have 100 bucks in my pocket, and he's got a gift certificate for 50. And he might not like American Eagle. He might want to go to Champ Sporting Goods or something. And so he might have to think about it. The, the point of the whole thing is, it's very difficult for you to trade For the unknown and the whole key today what we're talking about life with Christ is a journey and the journey is a journey into the unknown you don't know where God's taking you you don't know the things that God wants to do with you and and to be real honest one of the things that kind of freaks people out about following Jesus is that he does not always just tell you everything right up front I mean it would probably wig us out if he did I don't think we could handle it but he doesn't do it and we think we know I want to know what's gonna happen Tell me what's going to happen. He says, I'm not going to do it. One of the major obstacles to following Jesus is wealth. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You say, well, Brett, <laughs> this sermon's not going to apply to me because I'm not wealthy. I mean, I can, you know, I can, take, uh, I can doodle in my notepad for the next uh, several minutes because this sermon doesn't apply to me. This isn't a big deal for me right now, but I want you to know it is a big deal simply because of the country that you live in. If you live in America and you have a job, you are wealthier than 98% of the people in the world. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of wealth that this country, the poorest person in this country, drop them in the middle of Haiti and they're kings. It's a big deal. And you're in pursuit of more wealth and you're in the pursuit of of accumulating things, and your life is about whether you realize it or not management of that wealth and the pursuit- and the 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 things that you've pursued and actually been able to track down and it becomes for us without it ever re- without us ever really meaning for it to It becomes this central thing in our life, and suddenly it becomes this thing where we say god is is this What I'm after, I'm just after more stuff. I just wake up every morning and it's about the pursuit of the stuff. And it's easy in the beginning because in the beginning, I mean, you remember those of you who are married, you remember what it was like in the beginning when you were married and you and your sweetie ate macaroni and cheese across the card table from one another. You know what I'm talking about? You didn't have anything. First move that I ever made in my life with my wife was done in a pickup truck just because all we had was bananas. You know, I mean, essentially, we're standing there, and all we've got is a is is our big bundle of bananas. We didn't have anything. I mean, literally, my parents were still paying for my school when I was a married guy. I, I didn't have anything. And so we all remember what it's like to, to have bananas. That's not hard for us, but something happens along the way. Now you're 40 or 50 or 60, and... Chances are good that for most of the people in the room, and I realize it can't be said for everybody, but for most of the people in the room this morning, you're making more money right now than you've ever made in your life. Now, Again, that's a generalization. It can't be said for everybody. But a lot of people could hear that statement and go, you're exactly right. I, I think I could say this. Many, many of us do not have just bananas anymore. And suddenly, it's not so easy to look at God and say, okay, God, everything I have is yours. See, when you got bananas and that's all you got is just a bundle of bananas, it's easy to go, Lord, all i got, I give it to you. And the Lord's standing there saying, you know, that's great. I mean, I don't really need any bananas right now, but it's good that you want to offer those to me. I'm really happy about that. But something happens when you get the boom box and when you get the gift certificate, something happens, and all of a sudden, it's not as easy to look at God and say, God, everything I have is yours. I just wanna give everything I've got to you. Suddenly, we kinda, you know, in, in our secret moments, and maybe sometimes even in some of our not so secret moments, we can be found over there kinda polishing the knobs on our new boom box. Kinda thinking to ourselves, you know, this is mine, and I don't want anybody to touch it or have it, or, you know, God, I love you, but don't wanna share my boom box. See, God is not against wealth, I don't think God's against wealth. Now, I'm not a TV preacher that's here to tell you that God's will for your life is for you to be wealthy. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Because I don't like those guys. But I don't believe God's against wealth. What God is against is when wealth, on any scale, at any level, and again, drop you into Wing Hang in Thailand where I was two years ago, and you blow them away in terms of how wealthy you are. God is against anything, any kind of wealth that wants to replace him as the Lord in your life and in my life. That's really the point this morning. You've got Mark chapter 10. Today we're gonna look at one of the sadder stories in the life of Christ. Um, This is the story of a guy we call a rich young ruler, and I think that you're going to, hopefully, you see this story today in a way you've never seen it before. We're going to draw something out that I think is going to, I hope we have an aha moment this morning, because um, it's just a really cool story. As Jesus, verse 17, Mark 10, verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do? To inherit eternal life now from this question we can infer a few things about this guy first of all we find out later that he we, we know he's we find out later he's wealthy we find out someplace else that he's a ruler in that area and here's a guy that has just heard jesus teaching and has possibly seen him do miracles we don't know that and and he knows in his heart that jesus has The answer to a question that's been bugging him for a long time. We find out later that this guy is a list guy. He likes the list. He's got one in his hands. He lays down with it at night and he goes over it and rehearses it to make sure that he did everything on the list. And he comes to Jesus with his list in his hands very, very secure very confident that he's done everything he can do to please God and he's in search of this one thing how can I know that I have eternal life. He would go to bed at night. And he would go down his list and he would make sure that he'd been able to check everything off. But when he got to the end of the list, there was one thing that was bugging him. He did not have this assurance. He he, he did not have a confidence that at the end of his life, he would go to heaven. So we can guess, and again, this is pure conjecture, but it's possible that, that this guy... Whenever he heard a teacher teach, and he probably heard a lot of rabbis come and go, and he probably listened to a lot of sermons, whenever he, the guy got done speaking, he would probably approach him and walk up and ask this question. How can I inherit eternal life? I want to be sure. I want to know that I've done everything that I can do, but there's something else for me, and I just can't figure out what it is. And here's the key phrase. Is there something else for me... What are the two words? To do. Is there something else for me to do? Again, Jesus did not come with a list in his hands, and he did not invite you to do something other than to follow him, other than to enter into a relationship with him. Jesus came to extend a relationship to you and to me, and he said, follow me. He did not come with a list in his hands to say, you've got to do this, you've got to give this much money, you've got to go to church this many times, you've got to pray this many prayers, you've got to eliminate this many cuss words from your vocabulary, although that would be a good thing. You, you gotta, you, 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 these are the things that you must do. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus, what must I do? Give me something else for my list because I, I don't think that I'm doing enough. I, I'm missing something. Now, there's something interesting in the way he refers to Jesus. He refers to Jesus as good. Calls him good teacher. There are two Greek words for good. The first one, if it were used in this case and it's not, would refer to Jesus as a good teacher, that Jesus was a very good teacher, that he was capable as an instructor and as as an orator. He would have been talking about his teaching skills. But the one he used he attributed some sense of worth to Jesus as a man. It was like he looked at Jesus and said, good man who is also a teacher. Okay, so he's he's ascribing some kind of, he's recognizing Jesus in some kind of special way. He saw something in him that, that was inherently good. So he goes on and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And what Jesus does at this point is he begins to recite back to the rich young ruler a, a, a man who's who's very versed in um, the list. And he's 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 he, he's been in the synagogue and he knows what happens there. And he, he's heard the rabbis do all these things. And one of the things that they did, the rabbis used to have this little um, saying, and it was it wasn't unusual for them to, to repeat this over and over that God is good. They heard it all the time, God is good. And so Jesus kind of piggybacks on top of that. And when they used the word good, whenever these rabbis would use the word God is good, they would use this Greek word that this young man puts in front of the word teacher, good teacher. The same word that that the rabbi used, God is good. And some theologians think, and this makes sense to me, that that Jesus was giving this guy a chance to recognize God who he was you call me good and I think there was a pause everybody knows that only God is good are you implying that I am a man from God are you implying that I am in some way linked up with God are you implying that I am the son of God are you implying that I am God And it was a chance for this guy to say, yeah, I believe that that's who you are. I believe that that's what's going on here. I think that you've got a connection that other rabbis don't have. It was a chance for him to step up to the plate and say, yes, I believe that about you. But the rich young ruler does not respond in that way, and so Jesus goes on. You know the commandments, verse 19. And he's going to begin to recite the list for this guy. And I want you to watch the way this guy responds to the list, okay? He starts to read these all, or to recite these. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And Jesus begins to go down the list, and he knew it well, and everybody knew it well. Now, why did he do that? First of all, you have to understand that the the law was given as a mirror. It, it was it was given as a mirror, and it was designed for us to look into the law and realize that we can't keep it. The the law was never given to us so that we could do it, and at the end of doing it, look at God and say, "There you go, aren't I good?" I I I, I mean, can you believe it, God? How well I just. Dealt with everything on the list. That's not why we were given the law. We were given the law so that we would look into it and we would realize, I can't do that. I'm in trouble. I need help. I've come to the end of my ability to be able to connect with God on my own because there's just too many things on this list and I cannot perfectly keep all these things. Jesus starts rattling off the laws, and the rich young ruler, you know, in his head, he's going, yeah, 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 I, I, know, I, I, I know all those. I know all those. I can tell you all those too, and I've done all those things. I don't think it's a stretch at all to think that as Jesus was going down the list, that the rich young ruler interrupts Jesus, that as Jesus is going down the list, he just, he, he kind of steps on Jesus a little bit, Uh, verbally and just cuts him off and steps in and and this is what he said teacher 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 all these i have kept since i was a boy and what he's referring to there is the time when he would have turned 13 years old in the synagogue and at that point he was accountable to the law as a jewish boy In, in other words don't just give me the law i know the law Don't recite the law to me, Jesus. I do that every night to myself. I go down this list every night and check these things off. In in other words, if eternal life is found in what you just rattled off for me, I'm in. There's nothing for me to worry about. But something tells me that there's more to it than that. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love that, it's great. He looked at him and loved him. You know, what's not said and what you can kind of infer is that probably the same way Jesus looks at you and me when, when we do stupid stuff or we say something stupid. We come and we pray these prayers, you know, and we think we're on top of it, and it's just like Jesus looks back and says, Dear man, you know, I love you, even though you have no clue right now what you're talking about. My child, my daughter, I love you. You're clueless right now about what you're asking me and about how you're complaining about this or what's going on in your world, but I love you. And that's what he does. He looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. That's an interesting phrase. The word thing is actually not in the Greek. If you were to look that up, it's not in there, that word thing. That's something that we've kind of put in there to kind of make it read a little better. And the word lack is the same word that you find when you go to Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and what? Fall short. That, that, That Greek word there for fall short is the word that is used here for lack. For all lack. Or in other words, one thing, one area, Jesus might have said, where you fall short. I think Jesus would say, you know something? You think you've kept the law perfectly? I'm here to tell you that there's one thing you lack. There's one place where you, and he used this Greek word, and instantly this guy hears the phrase, fall short. I fall short. I don't make it. I don't measure up. Here, my whole life, I've thought I measured up. I thought I did all these things perfectly. I thought I stood in good standing with God. Now, this rabbi is telling me that I don't measure up, that I fall short. I lack. I think Jesus would have said, there's something that you're missing, young man. Stay away from the base. Way over here. Look at verse 21. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. He says, I tell you what, you think you're righteous and holy? You think you've done it all right? You think you're on top of your game? I'll make a trade with you. I I want you to sell everything you have and give it away, and then I want you to follow me. Sell it all, give it away, then come and follow me. And what I will give you in return is treasure in heaven. And if you have loved the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you have loved your neighbor as yourself, then this shouldn't be much of a problem for you. I mean, if you've kept the list and you say you're on top of your game like you are, part of the things on the list is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you've really done those things, then selling everything you've got and giving it to the poor really should not be a problem for you. So why don't you do that and then come back and follow me? In other words, I want to make a trade with you, and I want you to give up what you can't keep anyway. That great line that, that, um, oh, what is his name? The missionary. He is no fool. Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that great? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Jesus looks at this guy and says, look, you can't hang on to all this stuff anyway. I'm going to make a trade with you. I'm going to give you the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to give you treasures in heaven. If you will just do this, if you'll give up your treasures here on earth. And then look at how sad this next verse is. Verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he didn't really believe what Jesus had to say. Is that what it says? He went away sad because he really didn't understand what Jesus meant he went away sad because he thought maybe Jesus really wasn't telling him the truth. It's not what it says. He went away sad, and this is the key to this whole story. This next verse, this next line is the whole key to the whole story. This was this guy's number one problem. Okay, the whole sermon. If you don't hear anything else, this is what you hear. You know what the number one obstacle to Christ being center place in your life is? You know what it is? Right here. Because he had what? Great wealth. The implication is that if he had had less wealth, if he'd had less to lose, If he'd been standing there with a bunch of bananas and not a boombox, he'd have followed Jesus. He did not not follow Jesus because he didn't believe that Jesus was telling the truth. And he didn't do it because he thought Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. That's not the reason. He didn't do it because he had too much and it got in the way. It wasn't that he didn't think that Jesus was a good man. It wasn't that he didn't think Jesus was worthy to be followed. It wasn't because he thought Jesus wasn't someone who could help him with his problems. The problem wasn't belief, trust, or understanding with this guy. The problem was this guy had too much stuff. And the more you have, the harder it is to trade for the unknown. And following Jesus is a journey into the unknown. Jesus said, follow me. Where are you going? I'm not going to tell you that. I just want you to follow me. And if you'll follow me, you'll have treasures in heaven. Well, what does that look like? I'm not telling you. I just want you to follow me. Well, you're going to have to give me more to go on than that, God. He missed the opportunity of a lifetime, this guy did. All because he had too much stuff. Jesus summarizes the lesson. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus knew, and I know, and you know, that the major hindrance to people selling out and following him is wealth. You know, you look at this from the perspective of heaven. Can you imagine God in heaven watching this whole thing unfold and listening to this conversation? And the rich young ruler looking at God and saying, you know, I... I'm inclined to want to follow you, but I just have too much stuff To look at the God of the universe Who made the sun, moon, and stars 600 or so different kinds of beetles You know, just made everything Directs the tides, owns everything Has everything, and this guy's going God, I can't follow you because I've got too much It's at that point that I think it's possible that God looked at one of the angels and said, did I just hear him correctly? Because I think I heard him say that he's got too much to follow me. You know what that sounds like in heaven when the rich young ruler says, I have too much stuff. You know what it sounds like to God? I have too much stuff. It doesn't make any sense to God. God says, you got nothing. And everything that you do have, I gave to you anyway. What do you mean I've got too much stuff I you know I I would go back to my my Greek teacher I told you about him a couple weeks ago You know I, I think God might have just stolen a line from my Greek teacher at that point and said that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life This guy somewhere today is somewhere he's he's either in heaven or hell he's one of those two places And I imagine if you could talk to him, what he would say is, I wish I had made that trade. I wish I had traded what I had for the unknown because the unknown really would have been worth it. This is a tug of war that you and I go through every day. See, most of us started with bananas and then somewhere along the line, we got the boom box and the gift certificate and we're saying, you know, I don't know, you know, uh, all of us by virtue of where we live this country does a weird thing to us and and without us ever consciously making a decision about this that's what I want you to understand this is so subtle this goes way deep under the radar and it gets to us and we don't even realize it but we get raises we improve our standing we get bonuses We're, we're constantly getting new boom boxes bigger more impressive louder shinier boom boxes. And we're all in danger of becoming like the rich young ruler who allow our wealth to replace the lordship of Christ in our life. And we find ourselves pursuing stuff and trying to add Jesus on. And it's a subtle thing, but people fall for it all the time. And one of the things that happens is when we do that, one of the first things that happens is our relationships begin to suffer. When you pursue stuff, when you are pursuing wealth and you're pursuing getting more and I got to do more, your relationships are going to suffer. Why? Because you don't have time. We're going to do the whole margin series here in the fall. And it's one of the things we're going to discover is that if you're constantly Given your attention in one area, it, you don't have any time for anything else. And if you're constantly... Pre- How many of you know someone, have a friend that you don't see anymore because they're working two and three jobs and, you know, they've got the boat and, the, you know, the lake cabin and they've got this, that, and the other and, and they're working their tails off to be able to pay for all that stuff and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'd love to spend time with them and you call them and say, hey, let's get together. Well, I'd love to, but I've got to work. And if they do get some free time, they don't want to spend it with you. They want to go be on the boat or they want to go be at the lake house. They want to be with you. Because the more stuff they've got, the more they have to work for it, and it gets in the way of your relationship. And if you've got more stuff, your service begins to suffer. And you'd like to think, well, if I have more, the more wealth I have, the more time I'm going to have. And certainly if I have more time, I'll be able to give that to the church. I'll be able to serve and, and do things. That'd be great. But the opposite of that is true. The more money you have, the less time you have. The more money you have, the more opportunities you have to spend that money the way you want to. The more money you have, the less available you really are. It's very rare, very rare, to find people of great wealth who serve the local church faithfully and consistently. You just don't see it there's just too many other opportunities there's too many other things to do it's the nature of wealth and Jesus said let me sum it up for you it is difficult for a rich man to get into the kingdom because wealth is a distraction you know what else happens the more wealth a person has the less they they give <laughs> you believe that you sit in church and you watch people come in and you know you kind of gauge who you think has more money than you and you think, well, if I had their money, I'd give a whole lot more to church if I had their money. You ever thought something like that? Don't think things like that. That's just it's stupid of us to think that way, but we do. It's very natural for us to think that way. Look at somebody else and go, you know, if I had that kind of money, I'd be real generous. How many of you have ever said, if I, if I ever won the lottery, the first thing I'd do is give 10% to the church? Really? Would you? Really? It's a safe thing to say because you got a better chance of getting struck by lightning than you'd have to do of, of winning the lottery. So it's a safe thing for you to say. Remember back when you had bananas? God, all I have is yours. You know, statistically, realistically what happens the more money you get? The more a person makes, the less they give away percentage-wise. That is a fact. They have studied this. I could, give, I could reference the books if you want and give you the book chapter and verse on where they've done these studies. And what they find is that it is, it, the more money a person makes, the less by percentage they give. You see, the more you have, the more you have to take care of and fix and manage and oversee and if you're like most people, the more you get, the less you will give to kingdom work. See, back when you had just bananas, it was easy. God says, I want one tenth. You go, Oh, that's cool. I mean, all I got's ten bucks, and all you want's one. I can do that. I get to keep nine, and all you want's one. God's like, Yeah, that's the deal. Okay. Then we got hundreds. God's saying, I, you get to keep 90. I don't know, but 10, I mean, 10, yeah. And then we got thousands. 100 bucks, God, are you kidding me? You see how easy it is when you got bananas and you only have 10? And then all of a sudden, you're dealing with 1,000 or sometimes tens of thousands, and God says, hey, honor me. I, it, it, all this is coming for me anyway. Honor me. God, somehow, something in translation between my bananas and my boom box, something happened, and this got a lot harder all of a sudden when I came into thousands of dollars. You know what else happens? A person with a lot of wealth, with a lot of stuff, has a hard time maintaining an eternal perspective. It's very difficult. The more you have, the less you think about eternal things. Because, you know, if you make enough money, you know, you know who the hardest person for me to, to talk to about Jesus is, and you too? You know who the hardest person is? It's the person who has everything going their way. they got a good job. they got the 2.5 kids. they got two nice cars sitting in the driveway, beautiful wife, nice house. They've got the boat. They've got the lake house. They've got the pusher mobile home. They've got everything And then me go to that guy and say, you need Jesus. And he says, really, really, do I need Jesus? Do I really need Jesus? Yeah, you do. Well, how come? Well, because Jesus is paradise. No, Brett, I can buy paradise. I don't need Jesus for paradise. If I can make enough money, I can make my own paradise right here on earth. Earth looks pretty good to me, Brett. In fact, if I get enough money, I can make earth look like heaven. But you go visit a third world country. I wish you could have sat with me. I, best, one of the best experiences of my life was to go to Thailand. i got to be honest with you, I didn't want to go. I did not want to go. I'd love to go back. To sit in Thailand, in this little village, five miles up on this mountain. I don't know if it's five miles, that's probably a stretch, but it was way up there. We're out in the middle of nowhere, just As a side note, they got cell coverage up there. I can't get cell coverage in my house, but they get cell coverage in Wing Hang. Okay, explain that to me. I'm just saying, that bothers me still. But we're sitting in Wing Hang in this village and the villagers who are Christians or who are willing to come to church and there weren't a whole lot of them, but there was this one family and the whole family, I mean the whole extended family, brother-in-law and son-in-law and that kind of thing, they all came and we had worship, we worshiped together on this mountain in Wing Hang. And they didn't have nothing. They wore the same shirt every day. They came barefoot. They didn't have anything. And watch them close their eyes and sing these beautiful love songs to God. To watch this guy who had written a song to the Lord close his eyes, play his guitar, and just belt it out. He had no doubt who the Lord was. And he didn't have jack squat. If we're not careful the pursuit of stuff and wealth has the potential to replace Christ as the Lord of our life. It's a very, very subtle thing. So what do we do? God's not against wealth. He's not against you getting a bonus. He's not against you getting a raise. God's not against you getting a better job. Listen, God is behind all that stuff. If you've got it, it's because he's giving it to you. He owns it all. It's all his. I want to give you four safeguards, four things real quick. This won't take very long at all. Number one, renew your mind to the truth about wealth what does it mean to renew your mind it means to replace the lies with what is true see you believe that if you had more money you would give more the fact of the matter is if you have more money the chance, if you're like everybody else you're going to give less renew your mind to the truth you think man if I had more I'd, I'd give more that's not necessarily true unless you're conscious of it and you do something to make sure that you stay on top of it. You gotta keep sticking the truth in your mind about the nature of wealth because God has a lot to say about wealth. Listen to this. This comes from the Psalms. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. You and I need to be reminded every single day because you're gonna be tempted every single day to replace the lordship of christ with the lordship of wealth and money and pursuit of more stuff in your life it's just it's it's the, by virtue of where we live and how important it is in this country and in our culture you know I, i'm tempted some some people say where do you live i say well I, I own a house out in in east Glen." i think god would say brett do you do you really own a house in east Glen?" Because I have a feeling that in 80 years, if someone comes up to you and knocks on your coffin and says, hey, where's your house? And you pointed to it, there's probably going to be a grocery store or something on top of it. It's not your house. That's the, I mean, the land might still be there, but the house is going to be long gone. Brett, you don't own that. You're living in it for a while. I'm letting you manage that. That's a place for you to hang out, but that's not yours. You don't own that. We are simply stewards. It's easy to remember when you have bananas. It's a lot harder when you got got boxes don't lose the sight, Lose this fact it was the amount it was the amount that this guy had that was his problem number two you must establish the discipline of percentage giving in your life see if you just give God what's left over if you're just giving God what's left over then let's be honest God is not the Lord of your life you are the Lord of your life and you're saying god you'll get yours when i'm done getting mine. And god says okay well if you're going to do it that way fine. First of all understand i gave that to you. Second of all understand i'm not the lord in your life. And yet you say that i am but when when i get when i'm getting what's left over i'm not the lord of your life. I'll be transparent before you and i'll admit something to you that for a big portion of my pastoral life wasn't a very good tither. But Meyer and I decided some time back that had to change. And so now in our house it's a given. It's not even a thought. I mean it's not, we don't even look at it as ours. It's not ours. The first thing that happens when we start to write checks and write bills, the first check is made out to this church. God gets that first. So there's no question. When our kids, you know, people say, well, I want to teach my kids how to, how to uh, honor God with their money. Do you really? Because if you do, when you give them an allowance or if they do work and they come in with some money, drives our kids nuts. But the first thing that happens when our kids work and they make $50, Myra sits them down. She says, okay, let's, let's pay God and let's pay ourselves. And our kids are learning how to live on at least 80% and hopefully one of these days they they understand that they can live on less than that. The goal is not to just stop at 10. You know, give God just 10%. My goal in my life is I want to give God more. The goal of this church, I'll just tell you right now, the goal of this church, right now we tithe, this church, when you give money to us, we turn around and give 10% of it away. I'm telling you right now, the goal of the elders and my goal as the leader of this church is that we don't stay at 10%. My goal is that eventually we're giving like 20 and 22 and 23% away to missions and benevolence and things like that. That's the goal. Number three, you need to be using your gifts in the body of Christ. God did not give you gifts just to hold on to them. Use them in the body of Christ. And can I just say, we love it when you volunteer. But when you volunteer for something, listen to me very carefully. When you volunteer for it, give it everything you've got. If you say you're going to be here, be here. If you say you're going to do it, do it. And if you say you're going to do it, do it to the best of your ability, to the glory of God. You can't follow Jesus and not put your gifts back into the kingdom. You just can't do it. I, before I move on, i just I got to say there are people that go to this church that are extremely busy, and it blows me away how they volunteer and how they give things and how, they, how generous they are. I, I'm just astounded. I watch them, and I'm like, man, how do they do that? Number four, monitor your willingness to sacrifice your integrity for the sake of wealth. Such an easy thing to do. I'm just going to cut some stuff out. I'll just tell you this. The way that fleshes itself out in my life is like this. I have a screen printing business. It's not a real big thing. I don't make a whole lot of money on it. It's more fun for me than anything. It's a hobby. I'm not nearly as busy with it as I used to be since I started preaching. But one of the, the things that I do with that screen printing business, I have a motto. Someone comes to me and says, hey, would you print a shirt for me? I say, well, we can talk about it. I had a guy stand in my living room one day want me to print some, it was satanic. I mean, he's looking at me with the whole red contact lenses thing, kind of freaked me out. I had to look at him and say, I'm sorry, I wouldn't wear that shirt, I can't print that. And the motto is, I will not print what I will not wear. I will not sacrifice my integrity for money. I'm just not gonna do that. There are people who will. I'm saying that we as a church here at Cross Lane need to be a church that won't. Who are you following? Who are you pursuing? Are you willing to trade what you have for the unknown, understanding that following Jesus is a journey into the unknown? Are you willing to say, Lord, you are the Lord of my life? That's what this comes down to. Told you. It's a great story, rich young ruler. How much he had was his problem. Let's pray. Lord, we, we, we have a lot. We live in America. We have all kinds of opportunities, and if we don't even have two cents to rub together this morning, that we are wealthy just by virtue of living in this great country and having opportunities to gain employment. There's money to be had somewhere if we're willing to work for it and find it. We, we can do that. Everything we have, God, comes from you. Help us to sit on that this morning. Focus on it and see that uh, you are providing for us and that you deserve to be the Lord, and that this stuff that we want to put in your place, God, help us to repent this morning. I pray, Father, that we would be a church that honors you in the way we handle our money, both uh, corporately and individually. Help us to go to war on our debt. Help us to get rid of the things that are a, a distraction to us so that we can every day, every week, every month, every year, look at you and say, God, everything I have is given to you, even my money, no matter how much I have, whether I've got bananas or boombox, box, it's yours. It's hard, God, because we are so seduced in this country to think that it's the other way around. And that if we worked for it, we earned it, and it's ours. It's not ours. And we just tell you that we know that right now. Father, you are awesome. You are greatly to be praised. And as we sing here just now, I pray, Lord, that you would feel the love we have for you as we lift it up to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.